everybody. Well, hey, happy uh, almost Thanksgiving, right? Uh, it is upon us, and it is great to see all you guys here, and we're excited about the day, uh, excited about what God has for us through his word, excited about the opportunity that we'll talk about in a minute that God uh, has given us a chance to, for him to do some stuff through us these coming days as well. And so we're just grateful that you're here. We're grateful we have a chance to open up the scripture that we can sing some things about uh, God. If you're visiting and I've not met you, my name's Peter, uh, one of the guys on staff, and we're just sure glad that you're here. We hope it's a meaningful time for you. Um, if you have any questions or we can help you in any way, what we always tell folks is we're not going to like stalk you and chase you to your car. I don't think. No, no, we usually don't do that. Um, but if we can help in any way, any of the folks who are by the tables, myself, Emmanuel, anybody up here, man, grab us. We'd be happy just to explain who we are, or just walk with you or learn more about how we might be able to serve you because it's an honor for us to do that. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into what God has for us in his word today. Father, as we've sung, um, I just want to start by uh, thanking you, Father, uh, for sending the Son to earth to live with us, to dwell among us, to be where we are, to give us the hope and the opportunity to one day be where you are. Uh, you're faithful. You're kind. You know exactly right now what every single one of us is going through. And you care. And you are working to do what is best for us. And you are working to develop us and to mature us. And you never forget about us. And those are amazing things to be grateful and to be thankful for. So, Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your revealing yourself to us. Thank you for inviting us into an opportunity to serve and to love other people and to show other people your love tangibly and for the opportunity we have uh, to do that. And as we open up your word, we pray you'll help us now to learn more about you, Father, and um, just really to hear something from you. I, I come expectantly, <clears throat> hoping that maybe there's something that you will convey to myself and to others in the room that will change uh, the direction of this week and how we live and how we act. And so I trust the Spirit for that, grateful for this church and this body. May we continue to become the people you want us to be. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, man, it is, as you know, right, this is a Sunday when uh, throughout, for, I don't know, decades, right, Calvary's kind of carved out this Sunday as, a, as an opportunity for us as a church body a couple of days of, before Thanksgiving to bless other people, right, to be grateful and thankful for the things that God has given to us, and from out of that, give to other people. And I say this for the past eight years or so that I've been here, right, none of this, the stuff in the lobby, the collecting things, giving away, it's really not about uh, our own press. It's about us being a body of people who say, you know what, God has blessed us, and some of us are struggling, but we are still blessed, and we want to be people who are aware of the needs of other people around us, and we want to tangibly try to do things to practically show, man, our care and God's love. And so that is what this is about. And because of your generosity and because of the kindness of you and your families, we have an amazing opportunity to do that uh, this Sunday, right? And this Sunday, because of you, we're going to be able to give at least, we're going to be able to give bunches of food baskets to at least and over 30 families 
some of whom are in this church and some of whom are your neighbors and some of in the community, right? Over 30 food baskets and 30 families are going to be blessed. We're going to give away over $500 of gift cards to a local ministry to give to folks who are really, really struggling. And then we have these shoe boxes, right, that are just tangible ways to show kindness to people who uh, will be encouraged by that. And the goal and the hope is that through this weekend, through the kindness of you guys and other churches, right, we're, we're going to kind of 7,000 or so boxes is kind of the goal to come through here to be loaded on targets and on boxes and go. That has nothing to do with, woohoo, we're great. What it has to be is we've been given an amazing opportunity to be kind and loving to other people, and we're grateful that you guys have kind of risen to that opportunity. This Sunday is the Sunday that we do that, and so afterwards we're going to pack tractor trailers. Folks are going to grab food, gift cards are going to be given out, and it's going to be awesome as we affirm and we celebrate that, right? This Sunday also we have the chance as a church body um, to just acknowledge some of the things that you have said you're thankful for. Over the past couple of weeks, we've had that board out there. And so this Sunday, we can kind of celebrate what some of you have put on that board about that you're thankful for. Nobody put the amazing coffee at Calvary Church. I don't understand that. But here are some of the things that you have said, right? It's a great Sunday where this Sunday we can gather together and we can bless other people out of our blessings. It's a Sunday where we can acknowledge what some of you are thankful for. And I'm just going to read three or four of what you've said. We give thanks, right? This is what you've written. We give thanks to God for all the blessings he has given to us and for the answer to our prayers. I'm thankful for my parents. I'm thankful for the faithful prayers of others. They support me when I'm hurting, and they remind me of God's love, that he is with me always. Another one says this, I'm so thankful for the volunteers and the workers here at Calvary Church. And man, I am thankful for the volunteers and the workers here at Calvary Church. Any of you who has given 30 seconds of your time to serve other people here at this church, we're grateful. We we could not do what we do without you and you are being used by God to serve and to love other people, and we're thankful for that, and we're excited in the coming year about new opportunities to do that. I could spend hours, and I'm not going to call out everybody that I'm thankful for because there's so many of you, but I do, I'm just going to call out one group of, one couple, right? Because Kathy and Alan Mears, I don't even know if they're in here, they're probably not in there, they're wearing the awesome Operation Christmas Child swag out in the lobby, I love swag, right? I just like the word swag, almost as much as I love swag, right? They're wearing the Operation Christmas Child swag. But man, Kathy and Alan, for years, Mears, have just given countless hours of their lives. They're the ones who oversee the whole OCC thing we do. Samaritan's Purse Ministry adores them. They organize this with lots of churches. And so I don't think they're in here, but man, I would love for us just to appreciate them. And then the last thing is this, uh, and this is really the thing for which we, we can be most thankful for, and I appreciate the songs we sung this morning. This is what one of you have written. I am so thankful for Jesus Christ, the one who died for me and saved me. I am thankful for my amazing family and friends, and also very thankful for my church, Calvary. Ultimately, like what Emmanuel said and what this card said is, the biggest thing for which many of us can be thankful is Jesus. The reality of Jesus, not, the, not a fairy tale, not something pretend, 
but something historically true and accurate that can give you hope and confidence and peace because of the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus. What an amazing thing for which we can be grateful and thankful. It's a great day today because we get to bless other peoples out of being thankful for what God's given to us. It's a great day today as we celebrate just a handful of the things for which you have said you're thankful. And in about four days, many of you will be gathered around a table. Not everyone, probably, because I know that different cultures and different um, countries don't celebrate Thanksgiving, right? It's kind of like our deal. Uh, But for many of us, you'll be gathered around a table in about four days. And on that table, there will be turkey. There will be stuffing. Mm, I'm getting hungry. And it's only 9.15 in the morning. There will be gravy. There will be some amazing pies. And there will be people, right? For many of us, for most of us in this room, in four days, we'll be around a table. There'll be turkey. There'll be stuffing. There'll be gravy. There'll be mashed potatoes. There will be pies. And there will be people. And in four days, in addition to all of those things, in your kitchen, around your dining room, there probably will be one of two other things. In addition to all of those things, when you're gathered with other people for Thanksgiving, there'll probably be one of two other things in the room, in the space that day. There's probably either going to be peace or, yeah, some of you are already bracing for it, right? (laughs) Or there's going to be conflict. In four days, there's going to be turkey, there's going to be stuffing, there's going to be pies, there's going to be right, gravy, there's going to be mashed potatoes, there'll be rolls. There will also, around that table and in that kitchen and in the living room watching the TV, there will either be peace or there will be conflict. And maybe for some of us, there's going to be some moments of both. And then Thanksgiving's going to end. And then you're going to go get your Christmas tree. And the days will go on, and the weeks will go on, and the months will go on, and the years will go on. And on other days with other people in other moments of your life, there's either going to be peace or there's going to be conflict and dysfunction. And in four days on Thanksgiving, you will not be able to, just, just some of you just need to hear this, you cannot control what other people do. Just write that down. That's important. On Thanksgiving, you will not be able to control what other people do. You will not be able to control the actions of other people that will either make things more tranquil or more tumultuous. But you know whose actions you can control? Yours. You can't control what other people do, but you can control what you do, and you will have a choice whether you want to act in certain ways and whether your actions will lead to more peace along with the turkey or more conflict along with the cranberry sauce. As you sit here, probably already thinking of your grocery list, hoping I'll hurry up so you can get the shop right before the other people in the room get there and steal the last cranberry sauce. What, man, on Thanksgiving, do you hope that it's a peaceful moment, or do you hope it's a moment that's filled with conflict? Is anybody here saying, man, I just hope Thanksgiving, all my family just gets in a fight and throws mashed potatoes and storms out the room? <laughs> There's got to be at least one of you who's like, that would be amusing. But probably none of us want to get into a moment of conflict. For most of us, none of us, right, most of us don't, don't want to have that moment. So the question is not what does Peter tell us, not what does our favorite blog author tell us, not what does our favorite podcast person tell us about that, not what does Oprah tell us about it. The question is, does God give any guidance to us about how we can act 
that will help determine and shape whether we experience more peace or whether there's more conflict over our thanksgiving. And God does speak to that. And God speaks to that in the book of James. If you're checking us out, what we do at Calvary is we open up a book of the Bible and we go through it paragraph through paragraph, almost verse by verse, and we just say, what does the Bible say, and then how do we apply that? And so we've been in the book of James. James is a letter that was written by Jesus' brother. Jesus had brothers, and one of Jesus' brothers wrote this letter to James. He wrote this letter because about 30 to 40 years after Jesus' murder, he looked around at Christians, and he saw the Christians who claimed to know all of the right things weren't doing the right things. And he's like, man, what is up with y'all? What is up with you guys? Look at that. I gave a little y'all for the Southerners and the used guys for you people from the Bronx, right? Man, and he looked around. He's like, what is going on with you Christians? Like, you believe in my brother. You know about my brother. You know all the right things. But in your life, you're not doing the right things. And so James, Jesus' brother, wrote a letter to Christians who were going through persecutions and trials and said, in the midst of it, it's not only about what you know, it's about what you do. It's a very, very practical book. Three weeks ago or so, we were in very deep theology. But man, we're, we're, it's a practical book. And in this practical section, there's guidance from Jesus' brother that comes through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to, to him about how we can pursue either peace or conflict. The text, if you got a Bible, you can open it up. We're in James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. If you need a Bible, we should have some somewhere out there. You may have to dig through frozen turkeys to find them, but we've got some Bibles in a few different languages. Uh, we open up on your device. James 3, chapter 3, verses 13 to 18, and we're going to see two truths and then a few types of conduct that make peace more likely. Two truths, and then a few types of conduct that make peace more likely. So let me read it all, those verses, and then we'll unpack it together. Here's what Jesus' brother wrote. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make Peace. In those verses, James sets out two sets of two different things. There are two sets of two different things. The first set of two things are two different options of what you can experience in your life, right? So James begins by saying, hey, there's two different options of what you can experience in your life. Option one is in verse uh, 16, where he talks about disorder and every vile practice. Right? He's saying, hey, there is an option for you in your life, at your Thanksgiving table, in your marriage, in your relationship, that you can experience right, disorder in every vile practice. Interesting, that word disorder, it means instability. It means conflict. It means chaos. It just means dysfunction, right? That's the first option that James sets out. You can have a life that's filled with that. Or, what James said, the second option of the first set of two options is what you can experience, or you can have righteousness sown in peace by those who make peace. He's saying for every single one of us, 
There are two different realities of what we can experience in our lives and our relationships. We can experience disorder, chaos, dysfunction, and sin, or we can experience peace and good things, and good things that lead to and further peace. And so the question then becomes, well, okay, James, I don't really think I want to experience that. Like, that does not sound very pleasant to me. Or maybe some of you are thinking, that is what I am experiencing. Some of you are thinking, I seem to dwell in there and I don't want to. So how do I kind of get to this side of the ledger if I want to have peace in my life, right? As a Christian, as a believer in Jesus, how do I get that? Well, that's where he's going to give us the second of two options because he's going to say, there's two different things you can experience, disorder or peace. And then there's also two different types of wisdom that you can live your life according to. And what he's going to say is, okay, here's the two different types of wisdom. There is wisdom, right, that doesn't come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. So there is a type of wisdom that is not the wisdom of God. There's a type of wisdom, there's a type of thinking, there's a type of worldview that is contrary to the worldview of God. And then the second alternative to that is there is a worldview, there is a wisdom, there is a way of thinking that comes down from above. What James is saying is this, there are two different realities of what you can experience in your life. Disorder, chaos, conflict, or peace. And linked with that, there are two different types of wisdom that you can live by. Wisdom that is not God's, or wisdom that is God's. And here's James's point. The type of wisdom that you and I choose to live by will in part determine whether we experience dysfunction in our lives or whether we experience peace in our lives. Here's what James is saying as he smushes all this together, that acting in accordance with God's wisdom is going to give you peace. You got two options of what you want to experience, two options of wisdom, right? It's like choose your own adventure. Anybody remember that choose your own adventure books? If you are 49 years old or older, you'll remember the... I used to love me some Choose Your Own Adventure books. If you were not a child of the 80s and the best generation ever, I'm sorry that you didn't get to experience that in your life. And if you don't know what a Choose Your Own Adventure book, this has nothing to do with the sermon. I am now keeping you two extra minutes because of this ridiculous story. But I'm in it. I can't stop myself. It was this amazing book that you would open up and it'd be like, you're walking across a swamp and there's an alligator. And then at the bottom, it would say, if you want to poke the alligator in your eye with your thumb, go to page 27. If you want to run and call for your mommy, go to page 39. And you're like, oh my gosh, I get to choose my own event. They were amazing. I want to read one right now. What James is saying is, hey, you have a choice with the power of the Holy Spirit as a Christian to choose your own adventure. You can choose an adventure that more likely than not, will be filled with peace to the degree that you can control things, or you can choose to live in a way and to act in a way and to think in a way that you flip to page 75 and it's filled with conflict and dysfunction. If you, want, if you act according to God's wisdom, what he's saying is, man, that is going to put you in a better chance, not a guarantee, a better chance of experiencing peace. On the flip side, acting contrarily to God's wisdom is going to bring about disorder. This is what, this reality right here, 
will in part control and determine at least what you bring to Thanksgiving and whether you are doing things around your Thanksgiving table that brings about conflict and chaos and dysfunction. This reality right here, when Thanksgiving's done, at your job, at your team, in your marriage, in your dating, with your friends, your choice of which one of these you want to live according to will in part to the degree that you, can, you can't control what other people can do, but you can control what you do. And if you decide, I'm going to try to control things by doing this, it's going to make you more likely to experience peace. If you say, nope, I don't think God knows what he's doing, I don't want to pay attention to him, forget it, I'll sit there for 44 minutes on a Sunday morning when Smith or whoever's teaching drones on, but then I'm going to do it my way, what Jesus' brother is saying, hey, that's your choice, but you've probably chosen your own path to that. Here, here's the first truth. Here's the first <clears throat> reality. Big overarching truth. We're going to see a second one, then we're going to see some real practical things. Whether you experience peace or chaos depends in part on whether you live by God's wisdom. Whether you in your life, whether you around your Thanksgiving table, whether you this afternoon in your minivan experience peace or chaos depends in part on whether you live by God's wisdom. Have you ever tried to fry a turkey? No. You should do that. The, the big fake cra craze, phase, the big fad. Um, I don't know. Man, th there was this moment sometime in our culture where, <laughs> where I, I lived in Florida, so I can make fun of Floridians, where somebody deep in the swamp of Florida decided, man, forget that oven. I'm going to get me a vat of hot oil and drop a turkey in it and see what happens. It, it, there was this phase of starting to fry turkeys. Have you never fried a turkey on Thanksgiving? You, are you kidding me? That is like when I'm in the South and I'm asking them, have you never had a bagel? Like, well, okay, there you, okay, so you can deep fry a turkey. Now, this is very important because you've never done it, so you have to pay attention to this. Um, my my father-in-law and I decided one Thanksgiving, I mean, this was a lot, we were in the cutting edge of this. We were in Jacksonville, Florida, and we decided we were going to do this deal where we were going to roast a turkey in the oven whatever. And then we were going to get this big tub of hot oil that can scald and burn everything. And we're going to drop a turkey into it and see what happens. Now, th th this story is actually going to end well, because my father, there are ways to do that that are the proper ways, okay? You, you actually have to use, I think, is it Bernoulli's formula? No. What's the deal about if you put something in water, it gets bigger? Yeah, you have to use that, because what they will tell you what they will tell you is, hey, if you're going to fry a turkey and you're going to put the turkey in this thing, you only fill it up with that much oil because when it goes in, it submerges, the oil rises, right? And so my father-in-law, to his credit, did a great measuring things, right? He, he had a line. He put the oil in. We put the turkey in the oil, and it was just this soothing, bubbling experience of hot grease for about 45 minutes and then the most delectable turkey you'd ever want to meet. Eat, not meat, right? He, he did it according to the directions, and there was no chaos, and there was no disorder. Last night, I, I, I googled turkey fails. If you've never googled turkey fails, you can do it 
Right now, what do I care? You're gonna do it anyway, right? If you've never Googled turkey fails, Google turkey fails, and here is what you get. There are instructions about you put that much oil in for a 15 pound, you put that, for a 20 pound, you put there, there are people all over the internet who are not following the directions. They are not acting wisely. They fill that hot oil thing up with oil to the very top. And then they take a 95-pound turkey, and they, like, dump it in. And it is like the launching of the space shuttle in their backyard. <clears throat> Some of you are right now looking at the turkey fails, and you're like, oh, my goodness, he's actually telling me the truth. There are people all over the Internet who drop this turkey in, and they're like, look here, Mabel, I'm going to cook me a turkey. And they put it in, and all you see next is whoosh. And there is like flames to Mars, right? They did not follow the instructions. And then there is disorder because their lawn chair's on fire. Somebody's trying to undo the propane. Grandma's coming out with baking soda, right? It's chaos. Follow the directions and there's peace, right? When you don't do it that way, when you fry a turkey, there is chaos. Now, what's really important about this, though, is that this, right? See, see, all of those people, if they'd read the instructions, they would have known what they were supposed to. They would have had knowledge about what to do. But in order to not have chaos in their turkey frying moment, they needed more than just knowledge. They needed more than just knowing something. And, and, and what's important about this is there's this little caveat that James gives to this, right? Because what James is going to say is, hey, you, you can know a lot but you can still not be wise. You can know a lot, but you can still not be wise because wisdom is more than just knowing a lot. That's what James will tell us in verse 13. He's going to say this. So who is wise in understanding of money? In other words, okay, you think you're wise. You think you know a lot. You think you got understanding of how you fry a turkey, but by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom, right? You think you're wise because you know a lot. But what Jesus' brother is saying is wisdom is not just only knowing a lot. Do we have to know things? Yes, that's why we open up the Bible every Sunday and we, we, we take it seriously, right? But it's not just knowing enough because by his conduct and his works, let him show his wisdom. Here's the second big overarching truth. Being wise involves how you act and not just what you know. The first truth is this, this Thanksgiving and in your life, whether you experience peace or chaos depends in part on whether you live by God's wisdom. And the second truth is this, but being wise <clears throat> involves how you act and not just what you know. And so what does James tell us is the type of conduct that will show our wisdom that to some degree will make it more likely for us to experience peace instead of dysfunction. The first conduct that would be wise conduct that will make it more likely, at least what we contribute, right? When you have Thanksgiving, a bunch of you, some of you are going to bring, you're going to divide up what to bring probably among your family, and everybody's going to bring something. You bring something to the table that's not just food. You bring certain attitudes and actions that will either make it more peaceful or less peaceful, not only at Thanksgiving in your life. And so what type of actions and conduct will James say will show wisdom, which will make it more likely for us to experience peace? First one comes from something that he tells us not to do. Verse 14, 
if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Bitter. He, he, he's really trying to, well, one more. Can you flip the next? Or maybe I didn't write it down to give it to you guys. Oh, that's okay. We'll come down one second. We're good. Bitter jealousy, right? He says, if you have, verse 14, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Bitter is this, way right? He's talking about bitter jealousy. It's kind of this like prickly little sharp type of jealousy. Selfish ambition, he's telling us to avoid, refers to focusing just on you. Focusing just on your gain, your advantage, you manipulating situations and you working in situations to get what you want. And he's saying, if you're wise, the type of conduct that will reveal that wisdom is you not acting out of bitter jealousy and you not being driven by selfish ambition. You not being driven by only focusing on you and what you think you're entitled to and what you want and what you think you deserve and the way that you want it. He uses this word, selfish ambition, that James uses here. Obviously, there's another Bible verse behind me. Because that phrase is in the Bible another place where Paul picks it up and says, yeah, do nothing from selfish ambition. Don't live your life trying to only get what you think you should get. Don't manipulate people and act in, with, towards people in a way to get them to give to you what you think you deserve. Don't make it all about you. Do nothing from selfish ambition, another writer later in the Bible says, but, right, in contrast to that, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Every time I do premarital counseling, this is the last Bible verse I read in the last session of premarital counseling. Because in a marriage, if a husband and wife can come into that marriage thinking, okay, I'm going to do nothing from selfish ambition, but in this marriage, I'm going to consider my spouse more important than myself. Man, you're on a good path to a God-honoring marriage. If we do this in relationships, if we do this in the church, if we do this in our family, what, what James is saying and what Paul is saying is you will be wise and this type of attitude may not get you everything you want, but it certainly will keep you from making conflict increase. <clears throat> Here's the first type of wise conduct that makes peace more likely. Serve others and do not focus on if they are serving you. Serve others and do not focus on if they are serving you. It is super easy for some of you to write down and read on the screen. But I promise you, in four days, that will not be easy for me to do. In four days, that may not be easy for you to do for the next 40 years of your life. For some of us, that, that easy to write down. Woof! Hard to do. I'm going to give a few practical thoughts on maybe how we can do that this week. And I'm giving practical thoughts because when... God inspired Jesus' brother to write this letter. <clears throat> it is a very, very, very boots on the ground, rubber meets the road, practical book. Because the theme throughout James is this, how we act in practical, ordinary moments can most profoundly reveal our spiritual maturity. Your spiritual maturity is not revealed today right now. It's not. Your spiritual maturity is revealed 
in the most mundane, common, ordinary moments of life when someone cuts you off in traffic or when the order at the restaurant is wrong or when you are exhausted and the baby has a dirty diaper and somebody's got to deal with it. That's where who we are in Christ is revealed. It's not revealed when we're all together looking our best, singing our songs, because I know, man, I've told you this before, what spares me from feuding with my family on the way to church is I just come an hour and a half earlier. I drive myself. (coughs) Some of you are like, ooh, I need to try that. And I say that because I bet some of you feuded on the way to church this morning. Because it's like, where's the bag? I had the bag. What'd you do with it? (laughs) Ah, I see people right now going like, ha, ha, ha. Right? Right now, y'all look great. In the minivan where you're screaming about, where's the OCC shoebox? I never should have married you. My mother was right. Right? That (laughs) reveals our spiritual maturity in part. So here's some practical, we're being practical, not be- this is really important. I never want anybody to walk out of here saying, oh, we just didn't hear any truth and depth. What James is saying is the deepest thing that you can walk away from here knowing is the way that you act in the most mundane, ordinary moments in your life profoundly reveal your spiritual maturity. So how can we act this week in order not to focus on ourselves and in order to serve others on Thursday? If grandma doesn't listen to you and buy paper plates, and if there's actually like dishes, keep washing the dishes. Keep washing the dishes. I I know that you've washed 20 already. You you know what we do? We start washing dishes louder when we want people to know. Have you ever done that? You have. Man, you guys, you're sinners just like me, right? When you're like, I'm sick of washing the dishes, you like take the forks and you shove them in the silverware thing really loud so everybody hears it, right? But hey, keep washing. Keep washing. And I know that that uncle that you can't stand is sitting on the couch watching the Cowboys game and you're like, when is he going to get up? Guess what? The Cowboys are going to lose anyway, so it don't matter. (laughs) That is a word from the Lord. I do not believe in prophetic utterances necessarily, but I've just given one, okay? I'm not playing. You know what Jesus would say to you if if he says, look, you're my follower, and you're like, I want to be a good Christian. Jesus would say to you, keep washing the dishes. Take the garbage out again. I know you got some grease on you from the first time, but do it. Let them watch what they want to watch on TV. Walk the dog again. I mean, there are so many ways for us to do this, and it does matter because it reveals something about our character and who we're focused on and who we're trying to honor. And as people are trying to honor Jesus, who gave every, Jesus gave everything for us. You can wash the dishes for 20 more minutes as a follower of Jesus who's trying to live well for Jesus. I mean it. We can. We can. That speaks to our actions, right? Serving others. What, what, is there any like angle to our speech? Is there any angle to our attitudes towards others? Well, there is, because James keeps saying that. In verse 17, uh, he's got these two different kind of phrases, right? He's got a lot of phrases, but he says, look, here's what I want you to be. I want you to wisdom that from above, so your conduct, right, that reveals wisdom from above is peaceable and open to reason. Peaceable 
and open to reason. We'll talk about gentle in a minute, right? But these two words right here kind of go together. Peaceable means that a person that is living according to God's wisdom is a person who loves peace and chooses purposefully to act in a certain way in order to pursue it. That they're willing to defer to other people in certain moments when it's appropriate to keep peace. Right? They're willing to defer to other people in certain moments when it's appropriate to keep peace. They're peaceable because they're like, bro, peace is more important in this moment than, than me. They're open to reason. What do you think that means? It means they're open to reason, Peter. Yes, exactly. It means that they're okay realizing that they may not actually know it all. They're okay realizing that somebody else might have a perspective or an opinion that is of value that they can learn from. Those are what those words mean. It's a person who is pursuing peace, who is willing to defer to other people to make that happen, who's willing to listen to other people. So what's the, if we want to act out of wisdom in a practical way, what's the second type of wise conduct from these instructions from James that we can do is this. Do not speak from a desire to always be right. I love being right, which is okay because I'm always right, so it's pretty easy to, (laughs) I love being right, I do, this is really hard for me, and maybe it's really hard for some of you, but what those two phrases tell us about the way that we, we speak and we think and we approach conversations is don't speak from desire to always be right. Now, there are absolute moments when truth matters, when truth must be defended. I am not saying that. Do not walk away from here saying, Peter says that I can just compromise. No. There are moments where we do need to stand up for truth and we do need to speak, right? But most of the conversations that get you into a fight have nothing to do with standing up for truth. The conversations that will happen for many of you this Thanksgiving if you don't do this, it's not, it's not because you're speaking up for truth or not speaking up with truth, right? Many times when we want to be right, it's not about truth. It's about something trivial and insignificant. How many fights have you gotten in just, just digging your heels in to be right? And the topic about which you're fighting is like, who cares? Like, who literally cares this Thursday, Right? And who cares because the upside to being right is not about the gospel. It's not about something the Bible says. It's about something that who cares if Thursday somebody there thinks there's a better way to make mashed potatoes. Who cares, right? But, but, but sometimes we care so deeply. We're like, no, I read on Pinterest that if I put them outside for four days first, and they're like, well, Grandma made them like this. Ah, Pinterest! And we're, we're fighting over how to make the mashed potatoes, literally. Who cares, right? In like 27 minutes, you're going to forget what those mashed potatoes taste like anyway. If somebody says, I think it's healthier to... You know what? I think we should take a walk before our dinner because it's healthier. And you're like, no, 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 you foolish person. We should walk after dinner. It's much healthier. No, before. No, after. And we just get angry at each other over when we should take a walk. Who cares? Who cares? 
<laughs> Seriously, why do you have to be right? Go for the walk before dinner. It won't kill you. Who cares if you think it's healthier after dinner? Grandma wants to go before dinner. Go, right? But I promise you, I shouldn't promise you, I would bet you a dollar that some of you, you are not going to listen to what James is saying in the way that we're trying to apply it. And some of you, this Thanksgiving, are going to have a fight. That is ugly because you don't pay attention to this. Because you will choose to dig in your heels about something that doesn't really matter. Use cornstarch for the gravy. Use flour for the gravy. Jesus doesn't care, okay? Why are you going to ruin a time with your family fighting over gravy? Listen to me. Some of you are going to have a moment where you're going to be tempted to do that. You are. You are. You are. You are. And I've said it three times because I want you to remember this moment where James, Jesus' brother, would say, don't do it. Don't do it. The next practical implication, application, kind of links from this thing of not being right. If we pop that verse back up there, there was this phrase that I said that we were talking about this word, gentle. Gentle. It's this nuance of being fair, of being considerate, right? Of being thoughtful. It's this, this, this concept of you, you absorb things sometimes, you just absorb dishonor. You absorb things that are said or acted towards you because you're not going to try to ramp it up, right? You're, you're gentle. It's this other idea that he's also said in verse 13, this, this earlier idea where James has said, but who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct, let him show himself in the meekness of wisdom. Meekness, another idea of this gentleness idea. This word literally means the idea of strength under control. Strength under control. It is not a wimp. I think we hear the words, be gentle, be meek, and we're like, oh, I just got to be a wimp. No, 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 no. A gentle person, a meek person is a person who is strong, but they are able to have that strength under control. The Bible constantly talks about Jesus as being meek. Man, there was nothing weak and wimpy about Jesus. In a moment, he could have wiped it all out. Like, people came to arrest him. You don't think the person that created the world could take care of a few Roman soldiers trying to arrest them? But you know what? He had, a, he had absolute strength under absolute control. Gentleness, meekness, strength under control. Here's the third type of wise conduct that might put you in a better chance to experience peace this weekend. This Thanksgiving, it doesn't have to be all about you. We've already said it. Be strong enough to let some things go. Be strong enough to let some things go. If someone's snarky towards you, you do not need to be snarky back to them. Another wise way, two more, and then we're done. Verse 17 again, it says this, the person is full of mercy and good fruits. Mercy, seeing the needs of people and acting to meet those needs. Seeing the needs of people who are hurting and acting. Seeing the needs of people who don't necessarily even deserve it and giving to them something that they may not deserve. Merciful. Action to meet needs. Action to try to be a salve over hurt. 
Here's the second, fourth, second, what in the world? Here's the fourth type of conduct that makes peace more likely. Treat others with mercy. Do you know a family member this week who's going to come to your house who's hurting? Going through a divorce? Lost a job? Car broke down? Kids not talking to them? Parents not talking to kids? Diagnosis they didn't want? so desperately wanted to help buy all the dinner for you, but is going through a financial crisis that they can't contribute. And they're hurting. And they're hurting. And they're embarrassed. And they're ashamed. And this is not what they either thought they'd be experiencing in their story or wanting to experience in the story. How can you be merciful to that person? How can you show love to that person even when you think the thing that they're experiencing is something that they deserve, how can you show love and kindness to that person even when you think they may not deserve it? How can you help meet a need? Show mercy. And then the last thing we see is in verse 17 again, right? These all come out of verse 17. He tells us, right, the wisdom of buzz is pure, peaceable, and then impartial and sincere, Impartial and sincere. Impartial means it's consistent. It's not double-minded. It's not hypocritical. And the fifth and final type of wise conduct to, to, to live according to is the idea of avoiding hypocrisy. Do you ever act hypocritically? The answer should be yes, <laughs> because we all do. And if you said no, you're a hypocrite. <laughs> you, you can't win either way. <clears throat> Do you ever act hypocritically? We do. We do. Because we're all fallen, sinful people. And if you're here today, and some of the reason you never want to be part of a church and you're only here to be kind to somebody is because you say the church is full of hypocrites, yes. Yes. Um, I remember once this kid that um, a buddy of mine in Savannah, we were going to marry, and they wrote their own vows. And I don't think they used the vows, and I hope he's not listening to this sermon. Um, You know, one of the vows was like, (laughs) <laughs> I promise I will hurt you deeply in the course of our marriage. I'm like, Bubba, that may not, nobody wants to hear all that. Love, honor, cherish, obey, right? Look, that said, yeah, if you're part of a church, the Christians are going to hurt you. Christians will act towards you in a way that is completely contrary to what this book says to do. We will do that to you if you're not part of a church. We will do that to those of us in the church. We will do that because none of us are Jesus and none of us are in the presence of Jesus. And we are sinful people who will act wrongly. But, listen, but the reality that I will treat you wrongly, the reality that I will not live up to what the book tells me to do has absolutely nothing to do with whether a man actually came back from the dead. It doesn't, right? It has to do with my inability to live up to the standards of the man who came back from the dead. But me not doing it right or your neighbor who's a Christian not doing right has nothing to speak into whether the tomb was actually empty. And what matters is whether the tomb was empty. Now, when we're hypocritical and we act with hypocrisy, we, we blur the conversation because we create all this static about, well, if they love Jesus, why would they do that? They say they're perfect, but they're, yeah, you're right, we mess up. And some of us purposely do it and we're morons. And so how can we stop being morons? That's the most profound point of the day. Hey, 
Don't be a moron on Thanksgiving. <clears throat> what are areas that your hypocrisy may occur this Thanksgiving? Be on guard against it. I'm going to ask the worship team to start making their way back up here. We're going to sing a song, and then we're going to pray over the items that God and His grace has allowed us to graciously uh, distribute to other folks later this afternoon. But, but don't move that thing if you don't mind. Um, well, yeah, I'll move it. I don't know, man. What do you want to do, dude? Let me just roll it, because I felt bad. Last week, we got Alex back here hidden behind something. Hey, there's been five things we've talked about, right? And I just want you to listen for a minute. Serve others, and do not focus on if they're serving you. Do not speak from a desire to always be right. Control your strength. Treat others with mercy. Avoid hypocrisy. So I'm going to ask you which one of these is a weak point for you in your life. <clears throat> Serve others and do not focus on if they're serving you. Do not speak from a desire to always be right. Control your strength. Treat others with mercy and avoid hypocrisy. Which of those five? Oh, my goodness. It's right behind. Man, we got the best tech team in the history of America. Good job. Which of those five do you struggle with is a weak point? And then I would say to you, which of those do you ignore and you're always in conflict wondering, why is everybody mad at me? Why are they all mad at me? Well, maybe then you're doing that, right? Which of those is a weak point? Which of those always leads to conflict in your life? And would you ask God to give you strength to act wisely in this area, not just this Thanksgiving, but over the course of your life? Would you ask God specifically to give you strength in one of those areas to act wisely, not just this Thanksgiving, but over the course of your life? Let's sing, and then we'll pray over the items that, man, in, in your kindness, we're going to give away, and that'll be our Sunday.